some ancient history, that it would become alive for us, afresh and anew. Lord, we as a church are on a journey, as surely as your Israelites were on a journey. And I pray, Lord Jesus, with everyone here, that we would hear from your Spirit speaking to us. Lord, may your words from Joshua 2 be illuminated in our heart. And Lord, may we define what real life is according to your direction. Lord, I know not the needs represented in a room such as this morning. Some people may have come here just uh, um, in a very weak condition. Lord, may you minister to them. May you strengthen them. Lord, others may come because they've come off a mountaintop kind of weak. Lord, take that strength and that enthusiasm in their life and just receive it to yourself because, indeed, it's in you that we live and move and have our being. And we would not be here, we acknowledge that, outside of the very breath that you give us. Lord, breathe into us your life, your strength. Breathe into us through your spirit, your word for this hour. In your name we pray. Amen. So last week we started a series called The Crossing. And the reason it's entitled The Crossing is because we are getting ready to do a crossing as a congregation this fall and relocating to another part of Marietta that's more strategic for us along the 215 at Los Alamos. And we are looking at the first four chapters of Joshua because he led the Israelites to a crossing. That crossing was across the Jordan River to possess the promised land. And the strong exhortation given, as we will look at again this morning, in the first chapter of Joshua, was to be strong and courageous. And so we are exhorting one another in Christ to be strong and courageous at this season of our life, both personally and in our families and in our work environments maybe, but also together as a corporate body of people. And so we have upcoming at some particular time in October, hopefully still in October, uh, opening Sunday at Marietta Crossings which is the location that's along the 215 that we're going to. Some people always ask for an update. Here's the update this week after some more labor, sweat, and tears with the bureaucracies and the governmental agencies that be that we all love. Uh, They have allowed us to proceed forward with a partial approval, and we can get some uh, uh, construction documents turned in, other things. So if you have been actively involved in helping us build a wall, retrofit some other stuff. We had someone in there yesterday that uh, redid all the lights in the auditorium, turned them into LEDs. We're going to be able to dim them and those kinds of things, which is really sweet. But if you have hands-on engagement, and if you haven't been involved, you can jump in and do it. This week, you may be getting a call. This week, next week, we need to realign some energy to get uh, the insulation put in, the other side of the wall, get at this thing. But that's all building prep. What we are doing as a congregation is body prep, soul prep, because it's foolish for us, as we talked about last week, to think that a mere relocation to another facility is going to enable us to fulfill all that God's called us to do in this valley for his kingdom. We have to consecrate ourselves. And next week we're going to look particularly at that verse that uh, Joshua exhorted the people to consecrate themselves because tomorrow God's going to do amazing things among you. And so we look forward to opening Sunday, latter part of October most likely. We'll see as this plays out and uh, we get things aligned. But today, in this series, The Crossing, Be Strong and Courageous, we are going to look at Joshua chapter 2. 
To do that, I want to give a little bit of refresher, though, from Joshua 1. Last week, it led off this way. In Joshua 1.1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Huge deal. Moses passing away. He had led them from Egypt through the desert, and now they stood on the precipice of entering the promised land. But he had died. So the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, who had been with Moses all these years, he says, next man up, you're good to go. And Joshua is probably chattering his teeth and saying, okay, how am I going to replace Moses? But here we go. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, to all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Now, if you're not mindful of where that territory is at, we used this diagram last week. I throw it up again this week. That triangle, that hyphenated triangle, represents the promised land that God told Joshua, you're going to possess this in all this area. All right? So keep that in mind as we move forward. Joshua 1.5 then, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. And then he adds, Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it. Meditate upon it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, then you will be prosperous and successful. So last week we exhorted us as a body, if we're going to make the crossing, if we're going to possess all that God has for us and to fulfill His calling upon us as a people to continue to rock the valley and reach people for Christ, He is moving us to a location, but this location is merely to be a mission outpost to do his ministry and his work. Just as surely as we said last week, the promised land wasn't an end-all for the Israelites. God was blessing the Israelites, as it says in Genesis 12, to, to bless all other people. God was not a... Uh, a myopic person who just had a special group of people and he was only going to bless them. His desire was to bless all the world, but he was going to bless the world through what he was doing with the Jewish people. You're blessed to be a blessing. So also for us, as we think about relocating, God is blessing us in order to be a blessing to other people. And that's where our heart has to go to. How do we live in a place with God so that we can be a blessing to other people? Be strong and courageous. I will be with you wherever you go. Be careful, though, to obey all of God's word. Then you will be (coughs) prosperous and successful. So a strong exhortation from last week. Now, 
he finishes this part here. I have not commanded you be strong. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I want us to be mindful that we are not just making a crossing to a new location this fall. And that idea of, hey, wherever you go. But I want to have you, and we're going to look at it a little bit further later on this morning, wherever you are going as an individual, as a family, as a group of friends, wherever you are going and crossing over the street to a neighbor and crossing across the hallway to someone else that's working in another cubicle, crossing over to another classroom, to some other peers that you're studying with, wherever you go, God says, I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. We gather here once every seven days. Hear a good band, worship God, interact and mingle like you were during turn and greet, all that kind of stuff. But we're all busy people and we're going places. And so we don't like camp here on Sunday and do the God thing. And then, as we talked a couple weeks ago, do the secular thing during the week. We don't separate the secular and the sacred. All of life is sacred. You are being sent out as missionaries, and wherever you go, crossing one place to another, be strong and courageous because God's put you there to be able to be a blessing and an influence into other people's lives. And so really, I sort of see Sundays as a little bit of an equipping time. Not a rah-rah pep rally, but an equipping time. And when we look here at Joshua 2 today, we are going to look into the life of an individual who had faith, and this individual had influence in her household to be able to bring them to a place of being saved. All right? So, the Exodus, Israelites, 40 years prior to this, they left Egypt, crossing, parting of the Red Sea with Moses, right? They went up to... Where that points at, at a place called Kadesh Barnea, they were supposed to go into the promised land. There were spies that were sent into the land to check it out. Can we take it on? Of all those spies that came back after a period of time, only two, Caleb and who? Joshua said, we can do it. All the others were knocking their knees and said, we can't do it. They're big. They're giants. We can't take over this beautiful promised land that's flowing with milk and honey. And so God said, you, you losers, I'm going to send you out on a wilderness experience for 40 years so that every person that's a part of that generation, except Joshua and Caleb, will pass away. They're not going to be able to enter the promised land. God does not like doubting people. I've learned that. God does not like when I doubt him. And when he calls us to be strong and courageous and step out in a point of faith, and he's called each of us to do different things in our life, do not doubt what God has put in your heart. Or one saying I remember was, don't, don't doubt in the dark what God showed you in the light. Have you had enlightenment moments, but you're living in darkness now? Don't doubt what God told you in the light, even though it appears dark now. They did. They were sent roaming And eventually, after that generation starts to die off, they make their way up to the east side of the Jordan River, just north of the Dead Sea. And so here's where they're at. 
the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan, up by a place called Gilgal, and directly across is uh, the little town of Jericho. And there are some other cities that are represented there on that map that were in Canaan uh, at the time of Joshua. So how many people were camped on the east side of the Jordan? Do you have any idea? Well, it says that they ended up taking about 600 in an army across the Jordan River. If you multiply that, uh, 600 in an army of those, I think 20 and above, that kind of deal, that uh, you take the other uh, males, you take the women, you take the children. It's said that maybe somewhere between 2 to 3 million people were camped there on the east side of the Jordan. You ever tried to keep um, two or three uh, toddlers quiet? How about two to three million people quiet? And what were they doing at night? They were burning lamps. Now, if you were on the west side of the Jordan and you lived at Gilgal or you lived in Jericho, um, do you think you would hear and see the people camped on the other side? You bet you you would. Do you think word had gotten around a little bit about the Israelites and what was going on? Even over the 40 years? You bet you it had. Well, Joshua did something. He chose to send out um, some other spies, just like he was sent years prior from Kadesh Barnea, except he learned his lesson. He only sent two this time. And I think he uh, uh, decided not to have them come back and uh, make the bigger influence on the people, but to come back and report. But he sent the two spies, and so that's where we pick it up in Joshua 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shechem. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went, and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. I don't know if that's how I would have written the story. Hey, a couple spies here. Why don't you guys go over there? Sure thing. Thanks a lot. We'll text you when we arrive. They text and arrive. Hey, man, we're staying at a prostitute's house. It's uh, right here on the edge of the city. (laughs) Guys, guys, wait a second. What are you doing? Uh, You know, all kinds of things come into our mind. But the Bible's just so real. And matter of fact, and this is what happened. They entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So we're going to look at the story of Rahab here this morning and Rahab's faith and what she ended up doing. Now, she's identified as a prostitute even in other places through Scripture. She had that tag. Any of you got a tag on your life, you know? You know, maybe, you know, you're some great athlete or maybe you're some great uh, scholar or musician. You got some tag there, you know, and, and a nickname, whatever. Well, here's Rahab known through all generations even to here. We're talking about her in 2018 as the prostitute Rahab. All right? And who was, what was a prostitute? A prostitute was someone who sold her body to make income to other people. Now, you can interpret Rahab as scum, and that's okay, low life. But there's a good chance that Rahab, as a prostitute, staying there on the edge of town, was maybe more like an innkeeper with benefits. She was a business person, and they didn't have hotels that, you know, there were no, you know, Motel 8s around or, you know, 
Holiday Inn Expresses or anything like that. What you did when you walked into a city gates, and Jerusalem wasn't all that large of a, a thumbprint of property, uh, one of the first houses, whatever, that would be like the bed and breakfast area. And so she maybe ran the bed and breakfast right at the corner of the gate. And it's interesting because all that she would pick up and hear as people would travel in and out. And so maybe she was the low life in the city. But also maybe she had some other dignity going on beyond how she was tagged as the prostitute or the harlot. Verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Well, you're sitting in Jericho, you're seeing this mass, this, uh, what, about 10 football stadiums full of, of, of men that are going to be heading your way, all right, that's just the 600,000, let alone the 2 to 3 million, and she uh, is entertaining a couple spies, and word has gotten around on the street and made its way to the king of Jericho, the mayor, that, you know, hey, Rahab, they're in the corner uh, bed and breakfast kind of thing. She's got a couple guys that's hanging out with her, and, she, and I, they're spies from the people that we see with the lanterns at night across the Jordan. So he gets worried, and he tries to go and to seek them out. I'll pick up the verse there from your scriptures if you have it, whether it's on your U version, on your phone, or otherwise. It says this, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. Well, you could point blank say Rahab, who is in the Bible, has just deceived people and lied big time. And you can wrestle with that issue. All right? But... She felt called to protect these spies. These spies from a group of people that were foreigners. And she was led to protect them because of what she believed about them concerning their faith and their God. Verse 6, But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax, the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So she takes the spies, these two men that have come into her bed and breakfast in Keeper Place, and she's placed them up on the flat roof and hid them underneath a bunch of flax leaves. All right. Now, it's interesting, we'll find out this later, that she probably had a business in making cloth because the finer fibers of flax you can make into cloth. And so she had some different entrepreneurial things going on, right, in her bed and breakfast innkeeper place, right? So she's hidden them, but then she tells the mayor and the people pursuing, well, they left. And if you hurry really, really, really fast, you might be able to catch them. And so they head out, and as soon as they head out, they closed and locked the doors to the city because cities at that time had walls all the way around them. So we pick it up. Verse 8. 
Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, now catch this, I know that the Lord, it's a word for Yahweh, the one true God, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord, Yahweh, the one true God, dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og and the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. All right, so if you're at the city gate, people are coming and going a lot, and that's maybe where you're camped at. And it's almost like she, you know, has uh, uh, headline news, cable news on all the time. Because people are coming and going from different kinds of places, and they're reporting and they're articulating about what's happening in the world. And they had heard over the years that these Israelites, these, they, these Jewish people, had been slaves in Egypt. Somehow a leader parted a sea for them to walk on and dry ground, and that they were coming for the land that they had been a part of. And this was no small story that was on the street. This story put fear in their life. And the fear that they had wasn't the fear about the people. It was the fear about the Lord God that they spoke of. I don't know if you ever try to be impressive and tough around people and show who you are and you got your act together in life and, and you're finding your self-esteem from who you are. Just let it go. Because we are all frail human beings, saved by God's grace. But if you want to boast, as it says in the New Testament, then boast in the Lord. And somewhere along the journey in the street, and word that got to Jericho was the boasting of Yahweh, the one true God. And this God has been going before these people. These people are now camped on the other side of the river where we swim and they are headed our direction. They were fearful not of the people. They were fearful of the one true Lord, Yahweh. And Rahab had gotten a hold of that. And somewhere in Rahab's interior life, she had begun to have a faith and a belief in this one great God, the Lord. She said, the Lord, your God kind of thing, but it was the Lord. She knew it was the one Lord. And she looked around the little petty idols that they would try to bow down to and the little different maybe religious rituals they had going in inside their Jericho walls. And she says, that's all petty, that's frivolous. The things that people pursue in the world, whether it's materialism or success or pleasure, all of that pales. It's nothing. Those gods, I don't care about those gods. This one true God, the Lord, He is the one who has given you this land. I know that to be true. And in her heart, she had begun to have an alliance towards Yahweh and not the idols of her day. You want to boast? Don't boast in who you are and what you're doing. Boast in the Lord, the one true God. And if you can't boast in Him, maybe it's because you've not gotten to know Him very well yet. 
if I had followed them across the Red Sea, I'm sure that I caught, probably would have got caught up in some of the things the Israelites got caught up in uh, in the desert and become double-minded, those kinds of things. But I tell you what, my heart would have been stirred to know the one great God and follow him all the days of my life. Verse 11, when we heard of it, Rahab said, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Is that a profession of faith by Rahab? What does it take to really be saved? It's a profession of faith. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. She was mindful of what was going to happen, and she wanted to see her whole family saved. Verse 14, I'll pick it up in the word. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go away. So what she did was she took what we later see is a scarlet rope. Most likely because that's the dye that they used on the top of their roof. Because she lived along the city wall, a window looked out along the wall, and she took some type of material. This is a very poor representation of it. And she threw it out the window for them to climb down. After the mayor's buddies took off to find them along the road. But the backdrop story behind it before they left is then recorded in the next verses. Now the men had said to her, before they had left, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house, they won't be saved. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be upon their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. So she let them down over her window seal. Along the wall, they climbed down and they told her, you take that rope, that scarlet rope, and you, you tie it, you, you bind it to the window so that when we come and we conquer, which she knew was going to happen, we will not harm the people that are protected inside of your household. And so verse 20 says this, but if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you have sworn to us. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. 
So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord into the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then, it says this in verse 23, the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told them everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua simply this, The Lord has surely given us the whole land into our hand. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Joshua sent spies, not because he didn't believe God was going to give the promised land. I believe he sent spies in part to be able to save Rahab, who had faith of one true Yahweh, and to bring word back to the Israelites that were camped out, still trying to figure out how's all this going to work, because it's a whole new generation. They didn't see the Red Sea part to give them encouragement in their faith. The Lord God goes before you. He has given the whole land into our hands. And that word was passed around one to another. So, I want to just look at three things here as we close. The prostitute Rahab, the scarlet cord, and the spared household. Sort of sounds like the game of Clue. Nothing significant to that. But when I listed them this week, I'm like, wow. It was Mrs. White with the rope in the library. So here we have the story of Rahab. The prostitute Rahab with the scarlet cord and the spared household. The prostitute Rahab... Why in the world do we still know about Rahab today? I believe, in part, it's because God wanted all people for all generations to know that anyone can come to faith in him. I don't care what kind of road you've walked, how you've fallen, what angle you're falling at right now, what sin you're engaged in, that you're double-minded about, what anybody's ever told you about yourself, whether they've told you good things or you're not for any good. God's salvation is for all people. And the prostitute Rahab represents through all generation that God loves all people. Hebrews 11. Are you familiar with that chapter? It's the Hall of Fame chapter. All kinds of people are listed in Hebrews 11. But in Hebrews 11, 31, it says this, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, if you read through Hebrews 11, this doesn't make any sense. Because it starts out talking about you know, by faith and creation, by faith, you know, the whole Abel and then Enoch and Noah, by faith, Abraham 
And then it goes on and it, it starts listing, you know, Abraham by faith, Isaac by faith, Jacob by faith, Joseph by faith, Moses by faith, Moses there again. Uh, verse 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. We understand that. And then verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell, which is what happened once the Israelites crossed uh, the river. They took over Jericho. And then it says in verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab. And you're going to wait a second. Somebody cut something out of the Bible. How do you jump from the faith of Moses to the faith of Rahab? Should not the faith of Joshua be there? But the Hebrew writer records that verse. By faith, the prostitute. You still got to call me the prostitute after all these generations? <laughs> By faith, the prostitute Rahab welcomed the spies and was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, if you think that's incredible, what's even more incredible is this about Rahab. Matthew 1.1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Solomon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose father was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. We know that Jesus, which, by the way, is the same name as Joshua, Joshua, Yeshua, in Hebrew, Jesus, in Greek, means Savior. Our Savior, His genealogy, humanly, from, we know He was born of a virgin from the Father, but in His human genealogy, He descended from King David. We know that. But if you go back before there, Rahab is in the genealogy, the family line of Jesus Himself. You just want to step back and go, whoa, wow. No matter who you are, where you're at, what's going on in your life, you are not outside of God's loving arms to reach here even this morning. Will you have the faith of one as Rahab did, who knew the one true God, Yahweh? So the prostitute Rahab, what about the scarlet cord? I don't know. Maybe it was circumstantial. Maybe it was divinely appointed. Why is it talked about as the scarlet cord? Why not just say, hey, they, she threw a rope out the window and all was good. A scarlet cord. Scarlet, the color of blood. Exodus twelve thirteen. The blood will be a sign for you in the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. What's that referencing? It's referencing the last plague where God said, let my people go. Pharaoh said no. And God said, I will strike the firstborn son. But for those Jewish people who take the blood and put blood over the post, the angel of death will pass over that house and that firstborn son will be safe. Could it be that the scarlet rope represents the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Passover. And we need to acknowledge that it's through what Christ has done that we are saved. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. 
In Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And here the red rope from Rahab represents how we are saved. It's interesting. Some of you may recall the Hindenburg. What was the big blimp? Like 800 feet wide back in 1937. And then it ended up catching fire and killing people. It would fly back and forth between Germany. It was a German invention and and United States. And the stories told of the a great um, Hind- I gotta make sure I got my name right there, right? It's the Hindenburg, yes. The Hindenburg, have you seen that? There was one time when the Hindenburg, there, a bunch of guys were holding ropes, trying to hold it down as they were trying to move it into a hangar. And all of a sudden, some wind or something caused it to swing way up. And everybody got freaked. And some of the people dropped their ropes that they were holding on to this Hindenburg blimp. And others, they clinched a little tighter and they started to ride up with this huge 800-foot balloon. And so at about... 30, 40 feet, they, had to, they let go and they broke their feet and their legs, but they survived. But then there was others that freaked out with the rope and they held tight to the rope and the Hindenburg went way up and up and they couldn't hold any longer and they fell to their very death. And everybody's watching this, but there was one guy who he kept holding on to the rope and they followed it around trying to wait for it to come down and After three hours of roaming around, this guy had been hanging on to a while, and he came down, and he walked away. Everybody, how did you do that? And he said, when I realized, and I froze, and I clenched, I pulled the rope with one arm, and I took the other and wrapped the rope around me in a simple knot, and I just hung on and enjoyed the view. (laughs) I'm thinking, man, when I've been that smart, would I have been the one to let go and stay or one that fell 30 feet or one that fell to my death or the one that, that grabbed the rope and tied the rope around me to hold on to it? Friends, you can't save yourself from your brokenness or your pain in life, but the Lord Jesus Christ can and through His shed blood, what He did on the cross, when He died on the cross, He shed His blood was for you and for me. When He rose from the grave, He broke the power of Satan over your life. And if you want salvation then grab a hold of the scarlet rope, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you too shall be saved. The spared household. Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your household will be saved. If you look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 22, after they went into Jericho, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Guess what? Her family was spared. Her family was saved because of her act of kindness, yes, but her act of faith so the prostitute the scarlet cord the spared household leads me to conclude with this challenge who is in your household that needs to be saved we've used the word oikos before 
It's an ancient Greek term, which means house or really extended family network. Your close family, your relatives. But your network may include neighbors and friends, people that you go to school with, people you work alongside of, or even others. Who are you praying for in your oikos household to be saved? And so this is my challenge. I'll invite Joe and the band to come up. My challenge is to invite five for opening day. Who would those five be for opening day? Not the opening day at the building is going to, that it's going to save them, but the opening day for them maybe to hear afresh the gospel of Jesus Christ. I promise you this. When we move from this side of the Jordan to the other side of the Jordan, we move into a facility that's maybe going to accommodate more, be better located in some different kinds of ways. We are going to maximize the gospel of Jesus Christ in that location. And we are going to seek for people to be saved and come to know him. I want you to pray about it this week. Next week, I'm going to ask you to list your invite five. Who are those five you're going to invite to sit with you in the chair beside you on opening day? Invite five. Friends, neighbors, school, friends, relatives, work associates, others. The three things as the team comes. The prostitute Rahab, you are not beyond being saved. The scarlet cord, Christ provides your means to be saved. And the spared household, you can influence others to be saved. We're going to pick it up in Joshua 3 next week. In Joshua 3, there's going to be a call to consecration. We're going to have a call to consecration next week. Because the reckless love of Jesus Christ is for everyone. Ushers, will you take your places to receive?